Welcome to Crossroads of Culture and Christianity. I am your host, Jacob Jellison, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Hove. You'll remember, last week, we began our discussion on the issue of abortion, and we began to talk about determining what it actually is inside the womb. This week, we wanted to continue that discussion, but we wanted to spend a little bit more time this week on the biblical side of the argument before we begin to get into deeper things like the philosophical issues that surround the topic of abortion. So for just a little bit this week, and this may be a little bit of a shorter episode, but just for a little bit this week, we want to dive into some of the biblical proofs that what is within the womb is actually a child more than just a mere clump of cells. You know, when you look and go down this route of thought concerning the unborn and how they're spoken of in Scripture. For you and me both, Brother Jellison, we unashamedly are influenced by Scripture. It doesn't mean we always understand or interpret everything right, but Scripture certainly influences our thought. And uh, so when we come to an issue like this, it's natural for you and I to look throughout Scripture and see what does it have to say. Sometimes that's almost my first impulse on these kind of issues is, well, can I think of any examples in Scripture, any places where Scripture speaks of that? And even though we're going to do that and we're going to look at just a small, small handful of verses in Scripture that lead over to a view of the unborn child in the mother's womb as still being valuable and protected as a human being. On one side, we really don't need any verses that speak of the unborn in that way. I mean, you have the scripture already saying, thou shalt not kill. And so if the unborn are human being, if they fall under that category of being a human being, then they automatically fall under the protection of the law when it says thou shalt not kill. And so I really don't need the law to tell me, oh, I should not kill the unborn. By virtue of the fact that they are human being, I'm not to kill them. And just like we don't look throughout Scripture, we don't comb Scripture with a fine-tooth comb and try to see is it okay to kill women or is it okay to kill, how about three-year-olds? You know, we don't look for any age group, male or female, any ethnicity, ethnical group. We don't look for anything like that and say, do I have chapter and verse that tell me I can't kill these people? Because women are human beings, because three-year-olds are human beings, because every ethnic group falls under the category of human being. They're all protected by that one injunction that says, thou shalt not kill. And it's the same with the unborn. Even if I had no verses, they're protected because they are human being. Right. Not to deviate too much from that topic, but one of the clarifications on that that I do want to make is that I I think the qualifier that they're innocent as well should be used uh, because I know that there are, obviously, this is kind of a, a different topic, and I don't want to get too far off of our main idea, but I know that there are people out there that would make the claim that the Bible discourages killing, but you see instances where God commands someone to be stoned or or certain situations like that happen. Those situations, though, are not directed, obviously, at the innocent. God, God never advocates anywhere in Scripture for the innocent 
to be slain or killed. Right. That's usually in response to some kind of breaking of the law or some kind of uh, criminal activity or something along those lines that has caused that to happen. It's not a matter of God condoning killing of the innocent. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Those lives are, are innocent lives. They're, they've done nothing to deserve death. And so the Bible is very clear that the innocent lives are to be spared. They're not to be taken. And they're certainly not, it's not left up to us to decide who's fit to live and who's not based upon, you know, whatever, aside from the breaking of the law or certain criminal activities that lead to or are merit death in that matter. Right. That's very true. That's a good clarification because when you're talking about the unborn, and like you said, there are those places where, you know, when it comes to certain categories where God does command times of killing, it's it's always the guilty party, those who are wicked, who are destroying others, and and they are the ones who are need to be punished. But with these unborn, they're innocent of all of that. There's a verse for one of the first passages I would look at that would influence me on the pro-life side would be Exodus chapter 21. Uh, so we're right after the Ten Commandments here. And so God's given Moses there on Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments. And he now gives for the next little bit some specifics. He's kind of laying out some real specific details concerning their law. And he actually gives there in Exodus 21 of some things that say, for instance, if a man in verse 15 smites his father or his mother, he shall be surely put to death. Okay, so there are some things that reasons one could be put to death. He that stealeth in verse 16, stealeth a man and selleth him. Or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So a kidnapper be put to death. Um, those that enslave others would be put to death. He that curseth, in verse 17, his father or his mother shall be surely be put to death. So you've got various you know, punishments here. But then there's an interesting one in verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her. Uh, So they hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart. In other words, this child passes out of her. She delivers the child. She gives birth to the child. So they hurt this woman with child. Her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow. He shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So you've got the woman who's with child, and in the first place, that word child, she's with child, she's expecting. It's like that kind of gives the idea that, you know, where there's something, here she's 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 expecting a child, uh, the wording right. even of that. And then you say, so that her fruit depart, and yet no mischief follow. If no mischief follows, in other words, this child is living, he's punished. The key is in verse 23, and if any mischief follow, so again, it's the same scenario though, and and you could almost take out the bottom half of verse 22. In other words, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and mischief follow. So you've got two scenarios. They could hurt the woman with child, her fruit could depart from her and no mischief follow, or her fruit could depart from her and mischief follow. 
If right. mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. So if she delivers this child, causes her, you know, they're striving, they hurt this woman with child, it causes her to go into labor and she delivers this child, but the child doesn't live. You give life for life. And so the value of this, it's and it goes on, it's it's that familiar list. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So it goes on. It's the idea is there's the punishment will be fitted to the crime. And so this child's life is valuable, just as anyone who was had been born, their life would be valuable. So this unborn right. child's life is valuable. And the protection is there for it. And so this influences me toward the pro-life side. Right. You have other portions of scripture that are very similar. In fact, in Psalm 139, as David is writing, he makes some similar statements in the sense of recognizing that what is within the womb is actually a child. He's writing and he's basically talking about the all-seeing eye of God. And he gets down to verse 13 of Psalm 139, and he says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So even David there, writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is recognizing that even within his mother's womb, God seen him, God knew him, and it was God that was working that together and creating him within his mother's womb. And so there's this idea that David is portraying here in Psalm 139 that even within the womb, it is a child that God knows and God cares for personally. I mean, we're all created in his image. And I don't believe that the image of God in creation is only after birth has been given to the child. I believe that happens from the moment of conception. And I believe this right here is kind of a a textual proof of it. As David acknowledges that even in my mother's womb, you've covered me. You, you've you've seen me even in my mother's womb. Right. Even in even there, you knew who I was. You knew what I was going to be, and you had plans for me. I think that that's just another verse that further illustrates and further proves that within the the, the womb, this is a a child that is precious and beloved of God. And I don't think that that's exclusive to David either. I think that that's. That's all humanity. I, I believe God, as as God's creation, I believe He cares for each and every person deeply uh, from the time of conception while they're in the womb, uh, not just after birth. While you were reading that, I looked that passage up and was looking in it with you. And in verse verse sixteen, I, I don't think you read that one, but it said, "Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in Thy book." All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Even before he's, as you mentioned, even before he's from conception, before there's the forming of the members, you know, he's he's still developing, and yet God sees him, and and all his members were written in his in right. God's book, and so God has a plan, a purpose. From the very beginning, even before that child has, before we can see anything, you know, and detect anything even, and man, medically and scientifically, the ability they have, you know, to see the children while they're even in the womb is amazing. And yet before we can even detect them, 
It's before they're even beginning to be formed. God sees them and their members are written in his book. That's incredible. You have also, I'll mention a New Testament author, Paul, in Galatians, and, and he's not the only one. There are just a handful of people throughout Scripture where they speak of this idea, kind of like the psalmist does here, the idea that from the very beginning, God has a plan for him, and Paul was one of those. And in Galatians 1.15, he talks about how God, he uses the word, separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And so it's it's the idea of being separated by God from his, and he says, from my mother's womb. And so it's this idea from the very beginning, God's got a plan, he's got a purpose, he's got a place for Paul, and and Paul will have to later yield to the plans of God and 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 find himself there in the dust on the road to Damascus in a in a place where he needs to turn to Christ. But from his mother's womb, the Lord chose him, called him, separated him. And that that's amazing that God would take that little child, and, and this is before Paul's ever been trained under the at the feet of Gamaliel. He's he's not yet memorized lengthy portions of scripture. He's it, it, from his mother's womb, the Lord separates him and by his grace will will call him. And later on, Paul will become aware of that calling. Right. Uh, the same is true for Jeremiah as well. If you go to an Old Testament example of that, uh, very, very similar to Paul's experience in Jeremiah chapter one, verse number five, God is speaking to Jeremiah and he tells him, he says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So God is speaking, and he tells Jeremiah, he says, before I even formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. So even before Jeremiah did all these great tasks, and even before he he went on to be the, the weeping prophet that we know him, the one that had a profound impact on the history of the Jewish people, maybe not during his his immediate time, but over a, over a period of time had a profound impact. And we're even reading the accounts of his life today. Before all of that even happened, God had ordained a purpose for Jeremiah before he even formed him in the belly. He says that before I formed you in the belly. So right. before he's fully developed... Before, you know, at, the, at what we would call the moment of conception, there was a point where God had ordained Jeremiah and he had, he had set him aside to set him apart for a task that he wanted him to fulfill. And I don't think, as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't believe that that's exclusive to just these biblical characters. I believe that each and every person, you know, it's the Bible is very clear. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the reason for that, uh, obviously, is is God wants to save us, yes, but I, I think it's even deeper than that. I think that there is a task and an ordination, so to speak, that God has for each and every life, regardless of what social status you come from or cultural background. God has a purpose and he wants to use you in some way. And so he's telling Jeremiah, before I even formed you, I had a purpose for you. I ordained you to be a prophet. And I think the same is true of those of us 
even in our modern time, we may not have the same task that Jeremiah had. You know, we may not all be prophets that are sent out to preach to the power, most powerful people in the nation, but nevertheless, I mean, there's a, there's a place for each and every one of us, whether it's serving in the church, uh, whether it's out on the streets evangelizing or, you know, whatever you can put anything in there. The fact of the matter is, is there is a purpose that God has ordained each and every one of us to. And I believe that purpose, that, that ordination is from the time of conception. It's from the time we are in our mother's womb. Uh, and, and I really do believe that, that that's applicable to not, like I said, not only Jeremiah, but to all of us. Right. As you look at that and consider that with, we've mentioned the psalmist, we hear Jeremiah now, God's, God's sanctified him, ordained him before he ever came out of the womb. Paul, as he wrote to the churches there at Galatia, and he was separated from his mother's womb, and, and in grace, the Lord called him. And so you've got this idea of God God calling them from the very beginning. God's purposes were there and God's plans. But the moment they became aware of the plans and purposes of God, that was another matter entirely. Many of these right. characters weren't aware of God's plans, his purposes, you know, from the very beginning necessarily. It was something they, at some point, God revealed to them. And the same right. becomes true of each of us. And I don't, I don't know on our readers or our listeners, rather, I don't know if our listeners, you know, each of them, the plans, the purposes that God has for them. But somewhere, whether you're aware of it or not, God has a plan. He's got a purpose for you. And, and for each of you, it, it'll be different, his plans, his purposes. And they didn't come into existence yesterday. They, they were already there when you were in your mother's womb, when you were hidden away from the world. God had a great plan and a great purpose. And, and it doesn't matter what kind of childhood you had. It doesn't matter what your background is like. Doesn't even matter where you are right now. God's got a great plan for you. But at some point, it takes us yielding to His plans, His purposes. And if we will yield to His plans and purposes and embrace them, He'll do marvelous things through us. But you need to recognize that God does have a place for you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to reach us, you can email us at askthecrossroads at gmail.com. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can look down in the description of this episode and it'll give you the instructions on how you can do that. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, probably next week, we're going to dive into the philosophical argument on this. We just wanted to give a biblical basis for it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.